0: The following audio content is a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org. One of the perennial characteristics of University Ministries Sunday is that the balance of the pastoral staff and elders are still away at their annual leadership retreat. And I thought that I would share a story from last year's retreat as it is one week before our beloved senior pastor Earl Palmer's final preaching assignment here. The story goes a little like this, that as myself and Pastor Dave Rohr and and John Epps, we're walking out of our main meeting space and, and walking outside, I saw Earl in a way that I have never seen Earl before. And that is to say, he was talking on a cell phone. <laughs> now, it's legendary here with the staff that Earl's desk does not feature a personal computer. He does not use a word processor. He writes his talks out longhand on a yellow pad of paper. And he, as he explains, uh, you know, uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to power down a yellow pad. Uh, and and it, it fits in the seat pocket in front of you. Everybody else, they, they have to put their computers away, but I keep working. <laughs> so last year I couldn't, I couldn't help, but you know, notice Earl on his cell phone and, and I, I, I said, Earl, I'm surprised at you, I didn't know you had a cell phone. And in the way that, that only Earl can, he, he looks at me and goes, oh yeah, and uh, I know how to use it too. So as I'm, as I'm kind of being a punk, and I'm kind of sitting there kind of pointing and laughing and trying to get Dave and John to join in with me, uh, Earl, Earl just goes, Yeah, I know how to use it, and, uh, and you're making fun of me. <laughs> so lest I think I was getting one up on the beloved senior pastor, he let me know in the moment, No, I see right through you, church. <laughs> So I begin this morning with a fun story of Earl, not to make fun of him, but far more so to honor him. Not only has he maintained that sharp intellect and a keen wit, uh, but more importantly, he leaves a, a permanent mark on myself and many other pastors, uh, a mark to remember the living center as we come to our scripture on this Sunday morning or any time that we might be in in scripture to grow in age as we grow grow in to grow in grace as we grow in age my bad and to to know that that same grace is first and foremost also for us all jokes aside i am proud to have had the opportunity to work with reverend palmer Uh, here on staff, but even more so just sitting under his teaching since my freshman year at the University of Washington in 1994. My hope on this University Ministry Sunday as the new U-Min director is simply that we would continue to passionately love and reach out to the students in our neighborhood by sharing with them the story of God's faithfulness that we would, with our lives, respond to the invitation to rest and to participate in God's redeeming work in our neighborhood and around the world. Before we get into what we're going to look at this morning, let me pray for us. Gracious God, again we ask that you would be our teacher and that as we gather this morning in worship, you would remind us and you would reroute us in the reality. Of your great love for us. Lord, soften our hearts, open our minds that we would receive whatever it is you have for us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at the book of Acts chapter 7. And we're going to see a man named Stephen. And we pick up the story as he is talking with members of the Sanhedrin. Some of the highest ranking, most influential Jewish Officials of the day And needless to say They are skeptical of this message That Stephen has of the Messiah Skeptical of a man That is essentially saying I want you to think about this story To think about this guy Jesus And to consider that he might be The one that we've been hoping for All along And Stephen tries to do this By starting at the beginning of what is to them a very familiar story. So Stephen seeks to contextualize the story with these influential leaders that they might understand the great hope of the Messiah would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. At the heart of Stephen's message is that God cannot be contained in the way that you were thinking He could be. God is big and He is large. And in charge. The scene that we are about to see Stephen in is not totally unlike a, a scene that we would see if we took Barack Obama or John McCain and put him in a room with a group of voters that had made up their mind to vote for the other person. And this group of voters was essentially saying, you know, I've pretty much made up my mind, but I'm going to give you one last shot to make your case. You can you can try try and win me over and... In that case, what is at stake is a vote. Stephen is in a town hall style debate where the tension is heavy and there's a lot at stake. If you earn my vote, great. If you don't, it likely means that you're going to need to pay a very heavy price. So Stephen has the opportunity to win over this group of very skeptical voters and he's got his work cut out for him. He starts his speech by by telling them a little bit of history, by telling them things that they already know. He brings into play the beliefs and values that everybody in this group is going to have in common. He names the names that they already know and love. Abraham and Joseph and Moses. Not unlike the way we hear our candidates talking about people like Lincoln and Roosevelt, Kennedy and Reagan. So Stephen is trying to prove his point by returning them to something that they already know about. To the glory days, to set the stage. He's done this, and then the speech takes a bit of a different turn. And that is where we pick up this speech this morning, is Stephen is trying to win these guys over and show that you cannot contain God. He's big. We pick it up in Acts chapter 7, and we'll begin at the 42nd verse. It says this, But God turned away from them and handed them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of prophets. Did you offer me slain victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? No. You took along the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rephan, the images that you made to worship, so I will remove you beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tet of testimony in the witness as God directed them directed when he spoke to Moses, ordering him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors, in turn, brought it with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our ancestors. And it was there until the time of David, David, who found favor with God and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the house of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet, the Most High does not dwell in houses made with human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make these things? Then Stephen really begins to lose his audience. Listen, listen for this. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit just as your ancestors used to do. Perhaps not the best way to win votes. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one. And now you have become his betrayers and murderers and are the ones that received the law as ordained by the angels and yet have not kept it. He's given them a big speech and asked them to engage the story. Told them where they missed it. The story continues in verse 54. When they had heard these things, they became enraged and they ground their teeth at Stephen, referring to the Sanhedrin. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he, Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then this is unbelievable to me. Then Stephen knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he died. So what's just happened here? Seems to me we've got a big problem. Stephen has just... Preached a sermon, started back at verse 1 of chapter 7. It is the speech of his career, the stumping speech of his life, and he ends up getting killed. He gets stoned to death. What he has done seems to be a complete and utter failure under the pressure to succeed. He ends up getting killed by the very people he was trying to win over. There's an image that I get as I read this text of one of our students that has studied so very hard for a a test or a speech and, and they go into the moment and deliver exactly what they were hoping to deliver and not only do they get an F, but they get kicked out of the class and the school as well. Complete and total failure. This sermon fails. So where is God in this? How do we see a faithful God in a man that loses his life for giving a speech? What sort of sadist puts this story in the Bible? Unlike the elections that you and I are following so closely, there is more at stake here than just votes. And we see it in Stephen losing his life. On this You Men Sunday, I want to come back to that question. But before we do, I want to look at Stephen. And ask, what can we learn from Stephen, his speech, and what has just happened here? And hopefully show what I hope we as a church and the staff of University Ministries hope to do in our relationship and outreach to students in this neighborhood. First, Stephen knew the story of God. Stephen knew the story of God. In the text that we didn't read out loud at the beginning of the chapter, you clearly get that idea that Stephen knows and articulates how God has entered into a relationship with the anxious ancient Hebrew people and promised to lead them and save them and communicates this story clearly and eloquently. But he changes it. The story is different than you've come to expect. We've made some mistakes And God is bigger than you ever gave him credit for. Stephen is teaching them. Certainly, when I reflect on the best teachers that I have had in my life, teachers, they were the ones that that not only enjoyed their material and enjoyed being in relationships with students, but ones that had a deep, deep knowledge of their subject. The co-workers that we are most drawn to are, of course, people that we like, that have character and integrity, but also are people that have a mastery over their area of expertise. Aren't those people you love working with? Quite simply, they know their stuff. One of the reasons that we're going to miss Earl are his insights into Greek and Hebrew words, into the nuanced parables of Jesus. But it's the same reason that we're excited about Georgie. Can, can we call him that? I, I'm saying we should call him that. I think if we all call him that, he's, he's going to have to deal with that. Power in numbers, people. Let's do it. Feel free to call him Reverend Hinman, but I'm going to call him Georgie. Stephen knew the story of God and was passionate about it. And I think we get a picture of a man that was passionate perhaps earlier in his life, to know and explore the truth. And what we got in these, these early verses of chapter 7 that I encourage you to look at is a man, a man who has found that truth and has put his weight on it. So my question for us as a community this morning is do we know the story? Do we know the story of God? Christian or not? Have you heard the story of a God that has entered into his relation, entered into relationship with his creation? No matter where you're at this morning, I encourage you to commit to knowing this story even better. Perhaps through some of the, the opportunities that are available right here at UPC that you can find in your bulletin, small groups, mission trips. Sundays at 10, the table that we do at 5 o'clock, even what we do right here in worship. Do you know the story of God? Do you want to know it better? Certainly it is our hope that students that we engage with in university ministries will come to know the story that Stephen told. Some are very new to knowing this this whole idea that God is in relationship with his people and others, other students are very new to it. But our hope in sharing this story and knowing it is that it points, all these events that Earl always talks about that make up this story of God point us to the God of the story. That's what we're seeking and that's what Stephen was seeking. I've heard it said that True discipleship is knowing the teachings of a given teacher. And at one conference that uh, I attended, one Jewish rabbi, being particularly critical of the manner that Christians throw around this word discipleship, said that in his opinion, one should only call themselves a disciple of Jesus if they are reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at least once a month once a month now while I'm not ready to make that a prescription for our congregation I really like what's behind that do we know the teachings do we know the story of this one that we call Lord clearly it was a story that Stephen knew and was familiar with yet we ask the question he knew the story but Ryan he died he died What are we going to do with this? I thought you said the gospel was the good news of God. Our second reflection on Stephen is not only did Stephen know the story, he boldly told that story. In the final parts of this text, I think where Stephen begins to lose his audience, he challenges them to see merely beyond the things that they have always thought and always done and see the bigger picture. That Jesus, though pretty common and normal perhaps in their their eyes, was way bigger than the expectations that they had developed over the generations. He boldly told the story of Jesus because it was a bold story to tell. I recall as a youngster hearing a bold story from my grandfather and my dad. And it was the story of the best football team in the country. It was the story of a team that was ranked number one, that would wear purple and gold. They played in Seattle, and this team was the number one team in the country. And friends, believe it or not, they were telling me the truth. In that moment, they were telling me the truth. That 1984 Husky team was one that went on to lose only one game and and take a win in the Orange Bowl over Oklahoma. They were a great team. And as, as dad and, and grandpa told me the story, they would share about past Rose Bowls and Pac-10 championships. And this became, this, this thing, this purple and gold, became something that I could count on to satisfy this sense of victory and joy that I needed every fall. <laughs> Clearly, God is trying to teach me something new. <laughs> Yet, even in remembering the story, There is hope. And I know that whether you're a Husky fan or not, there are those things in our lives where we look to something bigger to root us in in some sort of joy or victory that we can be a part of. Do we know the story of God? And are we willing to tell that story that we can claim that same joy and victory? Just short of a month ago, Julie gave birth to our son, Carson. Carson. And leading up to his birth, we received scores of books from friends and family with recommendations that, hey, Carson is going to love this story. Oh, our kids love this story, and we know that Carson is going to love this story too. And one of those books that we received uh, copies of is called Goodnight Mood. Okay? <laughs> only, and it's a story that I remember as a child, only it's evolved a little bit. So you have the big version... And you have the small version. Uh, I was particularly intrigued with Buenas Noches Luna, the Spanish version, also a counting version. We have the Good Night Moon Baby's First Year themed calendar, complete with 57 stickers to mark uh, various firsts. And then we even have, check this out, Elias, Good Night Chicago. Okay? Good night, good night, Chicago. I think given from my brother-in-law and, and his wife who, who live in Chicago. So good night, moon is everywhere. A story that I was familiar with as a kid and and even a bit freaked out about. I think primarily about the the um, old woman saying hush, who's actually a rabbit. Okay, and for whatever reason, is a is a youngster. I was really weirded out by goodnight moon, and especially the old woman whispering hush. <laughs> goodnight moon is a pretty basic story that I want to uh, read from you kind of beginning at the middle. Okay, it says, it says this. Goodnight room, goodnight moon. Goodnight cow, jumping over the moon. Goodnight light and red balloon. Goodnight bears, goodnight chairs. Guess what the next word is? Good night, kittens, and good night, mittens. Good night, clocks, and good night, socks. Good night, little house, and good night, little mouse. Good night, comb, and good night, brush. Good night, nobody, and there's nothing on the page. Good night, mush. Good night to the old freaky lady whispering hush. (laughs) Good night, stars. Good night, air. Good night, noises everywhere. A classic children's story but it's brutally predictable right good night something in this story that we know and tell john the baptist has died stephen told us of prophets before him that died jesus of nazareth was executed on the cross and in our story this morning jesus or sorry stephen was stoned to death is our story brutally predictable Where's the good news in this story that we boldly tell of a loving God that has come to be in relationship with us? Finally, we look one more time at Stephen. And in Stephen, we see somebody that lives the story. Stephen, in his big idea of a God that exists outside the temple, lives the story at that very end. Remember when he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen knows that's part of the story. He's confident in that story. So confident that he's able to look up and see God at the, standing at the right hand. Stephen's faith is in a faithful God who has no doubt empowered him to speak boldly and live this story of grace even by interceding for his persecutors. One of the aspects of my job that I love most as the senior director of of U-Min is simply seeing the gospel change lives. That's what it does. It's amazing to meet students who in one season were massively skeptical And in the next season, are asking to be in a small group. Are signing up to go on a missions trip. After our service today, you have the opportunity to go and meet some of these students that over the past summer sought to live the story by going and serving abroad for two months. Go and hear stories both of of what they did and perhaps of how lives have been changed through that. We live in this story that changes lives. And so our challenge, I think, as we know the story, as we tell the story, is to live into it. And the kicker is this, not that we would try to find God to fit into our own story, but the challenge is to see how we fit into God's story. That's my hope for our community here at UPC, that we would be a community that knows the story so well and believes in it that we would tell it boldly and live it every day of our lives, not just in our outreach to the students to the east of here, but to the outreach that we have to our neighborhood west of here and south of here and north of here and around the world. Stephen has known a story, told it and lived it and by all earthly standards ends up a complete failure. But Luke throws in a very important that I think reminds us to see the bigger picture. The beginning of chapter 8 simply says that Saul approved of their killing him. Saul approved of their killing him. Why is that an important reminder? Because Saul becomes Paul. And Paul ends up writing many of the pages that follow this book of Acts. Paul ends up communicating this story and advancing this story in ways that in the moment cannot be comprehended. Friends, the gospel changes lives. In Saul, we are seeing a man whose life Is softened right in that moment by the gospel, by this life of Stephen, and begins a change. And then this the good news of a man that has died. Well, he's made an impact on one and two, and this is where we are set free. That God is faithful to redeem and and carry out his redeeming plan despite Stephen's failure. Friends, the good news is that the gospel and the success of God's story is not contingent upon our success. We do not have to live our lives being a slave to the pressure to succeed. The invitation in this text is for us to participate with a faithful God in the redeeming work that God is doing all around, all around us in our office, in our neighborhood, in this church, without being a slave to that pressure to succeed. God is moving and redeeming and transforming, and there's nothing that can be done to stop it. Like Stephen, we are summoned to know, to tell, and to live this story in the place that we're at. So we finish our sermon this morning I want to do something a little bit different but that has been a tradition here on human sundays in the past and that is that I would like those of you that have any connection to university students any connection whatsoever for you to stand that we might commission you this morning and pray for you okay if you're asking am i supposed to stand well you are well who are you okay if you are a student yourself if you are a janitor, an administrator, a faculty member at, one of, at any of Seattle's great universities, if you pray for college students, if you lead a small group, if you work in an office downtown that has college interns, that's you too. So, if you fit into any of those categories, please stand. Don't be timid. I know you're here. Thank you. Also, if you are a parent to a college student, we want to pray for you too. (laughs) So stand up. Friends, we are a community here at University Presbyterian Church that seeks to love our neighbor as we love ourselves by telling the story and living it boldly with our lives. Let me pray for those standing for us as a community. Gracious God, help us to know who you are, to know your story, to tell that story, uh, to live into grace. Lord, that we may grow in that grace every single day of our lives. Lord, guide us and make us attentive to your Holy Spirit in the place that, that we are at, that we simply might love those that are around us. Lord, soften our hearts, open our minds to do just that, however you would have us do it. It's in Christ's name we pray. All University Presbyterian Church online audio is available on both CD and cassette. If you would like to support the mission of UPC by ordering copies of sermons or classes, please visit www.upc.org forward slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117. Amen.